um, Adams, uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were the second and third presidents of the United States, and the two maintained a close friendship despite their very stark and real political differences. And they remained very close until the year 1801 when Thomas Jefferson became president of the United States. And the reason for the damage to the relationship and the friendship was that as John Adams was exiting the presidency, uh, he appointed political enemies of Jefferson who would serve during his administration as antagonistic adversaries throughout the time he was in office. And so this angered and hurt Jefferson so badly that the 26-year friendship was broken. They had no form of communication at all. Uh, Their history together as founders of this country, uh, uh, co-authors to the Constitution, uh, their mutual accomplishments, their national significance, their spiritual and moral values, their Bible reading, nor their prayer time has sufficient influence over their lives to effectuate a reconciliation. And brothers and sisters, too often we discard valuable relationships because they have been interrupted by unexpected episodes of damage, disappointments, or disagreements. In the verse that we read today, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul, the author of this book, had experienced all of these. He had experienced damage, disappointment, and disagreement at the hands of the members of the Corinthian church. And wherever there are relationships, there you will also find hurt. But all types of hurt and of all the different types of hurt, it seems that church hurt is one of the very worst. People get hurt every place where there are relationships. They get hurt in sports. Players and coaches and managers find ways to reconcile after sports hurt. Professional people uh, experience hurt, but they find ways to put the pain uh, behind them. And people even get over baby mama drama. Yes, they do. They find ways to put these painful relationship events in the past. And we can come to the place where we just say, well, it is what it is. No use in feuding and fighting with each other. We find ways to put it behind us and we move on and we live our lives together. But church hurt is very hard to overcome. And whenever there are relationships, wherever you find them, whether in church, at home, in jobs, uh, wherever there are relationships, you will also find hurt and pain. You know, growing up in a household without a parent can be a painful experience. We talk about it and study it all the time. But to grow up in the house with a parent who is unkind, unloving, uncompassionate or non-compassionate and uninterested in you as a child is not much better than not having a parent at all. I read a powerful article this uh, week about the pastors of the two most powerful and prominent churches in Atlanta, Georgia. The First Baptist Church of Atlanta and the North Point Community Church of, uh, in, in the Atlanta suburbs. And they are pastored by father and son, Charles Stanley 
and Andy Stanley. And the article talks about the broken relationship that existed between the father and the son. And it was so intense that they had difficulty. The two largest churches in the Atlanta and metro Atlanta area passed it by father and son. But they had great uh, uh, pain that existed between the two of them. Well, I don't have to look to Atlanta. I remember when I was 17 years old. And I was so glad to be able to leave home at 17 and to be able to get away from my dad. Now, my dad wasn't exactly an, uh, 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 an ogre, not, not exactly, but because this was the guy who made sure that I never had experienced a hungry day. I never knew what homelessness was. I never knew what fatherlessness was. I, I never knew what it meant not to have stuff. This is the guy who bought bicycles for me and BB guns and cap guns and holsters and cowboy outfits. This was the same guy who took me fishing, taught me how to play sports. But at 17 years of age, the relationship between my dad and me had become so tense that it gave me great joy to finally leave home and not have to deal with him at all. As a matter of fact, even when I was gone, whenever I would call home, collect, now he was paying the phone bill, the last person that I wanted to speak to. I speak with everybody else in the house, but the last person that I wanted to speak to was my father. And that's because there was great hurt and pain in the relationship. See, whenever we strongly disagree and we are deeply disappointed or the image of the other person that we have held for so long is damaged, our first impulse is often to trash the relationship. And sometimes, my brothers and sisters, unfortunately, this might be necessary. There are times when relationships must end. If it is a choice between uh, you and another person, if it is a choice between you and your sanity, you and your self-esteem, you and your personal security or the security of your family or your relationship with God, uh, somebody just might have to go. But then on the other hand, if the person brings value to you and your life, and in the process of that person enriching your life, there is some damage, some disappointment, and some disagreements. If your feelings are hurt, or your ego is bruised, or sometimes our deficiencies are more clear or are, uh, are revealed when the other person is around and we are uncomfortable in their presence because it reveals who we really are. And so in these types of relationships, um, it is not always prudent for us to run and trash the relationship. When the relationship is broken by some incident or circumstance, God calls us to be reconciled. You see, division is a tool of the enemy, and reconciliation is a gift from God. So let me ask a question. Is there anyone in here who would be opposed to having a couple of million dollars? I, I'm, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I mean, anybody here who, be, who would be opposed, just, just opposed to having 
a couple of million dollars. I mean, suppose you had an opportunity to sign a contract. And the contract says this, I'm going to pay you a couple of million dollars, I'm going to pay you $2 million annually for the rest of your life. And the only thing you have to do for this $2 million is to do what you do best. That's, that's the only requirement for the rest of your life. You, you would do what you do best, and upon the signing of the contract, you would be given your money up front, not at the end of the year, but at the signing of the contract, you'd be given your $2 million up front, and what the other person in contract with you would expect you to simply do what you do best. So the contract might sound something like this. So you are, say, say, for example, you cook. The contract would read, we will provide, and this is the person you're in relationship with and the contract with, we will provide all of the equipment, supplies, and food, and staffing required for you to prepare elegant and delicious meals. And in exchange for the preparation of three meals a day for only 10 months, you get two months out of the year off, for only 10 months, um, the, uh, let's call them the Coliseum Entertainment Incorporated, agrees to pay you the sum of $2 million annually upon the signing of the contract, of the first day of the terms of the contract. And the only thing it is expected of you is that you would do what you do best. So you may not be a cook. So if you are a writer or if you are a speaker or if you fish, you're a great fisher, per- fisher person, man or woman, you teach, or if you're a negotiator, or you, if you play spades and that's what you do best, You know, the expectation would be you do what you do. And what we will do is compensate you to do this 10 months out of the year. Now, how many of you would jump at a deal like that? It doesn't matter what your age is. You do what you do where you are right now. How many of you for $2 million would jump at a deal like that? Yeah, I would too. I would too. And I'm going to tell you why I would jump at a deal like that is because deals like that are too hard to find. Am I right? I mean, you're just not going to get a deal like, like that. In other words, if that's a legitimate deal, it, it, it is a, it's an opportunity that most of us cannot afford to pass by. Am I right about that? Now, so it is with very valuable relationships. If there is a person in your life, listen, who will love you, support you, stand with you, block for you, correct you, advise you, and cheer you on while you're doing the very best you can in your life. This type of relationship is too valuable to pass up and to give up on. But even in these relationships, Sister Flowers, these relationships, the very best of relationships, there is disappointment, damage, and disagreement. But the presence of pain does not always mean that we trash the relationship, that we turn our backs on it, and that we give up on them. Sometimes it means stay the course. I'm told, I don't have much personal experience with this, and you can look at me and tell, but I'm told that if you lift weights, if you're going to the gym, if I go into the gym today, and I work out for 45 minutes lifting weights today. Most likely tomorrow I'm going to be very sore. I don't have any experience with that. I I, I don't know about that personally. You can tell I don't know. But I'm told that if if you're going to the gym today, you lift weights today, tomorrow you will probably be very sore. But on the other hand, 
if you consistently lift weights over a period of 40 or 50 days, you probably will be stronger at the end of the 40 or the 50 days. One day of yoga, you know, I'm going to do something, get in shape. One day of yoga will probably end up in the next day of pain. But 40 days of yoga, you will find yourself with increased strength and flexibility. The only way to get a diamond is for there to be unrelenting pressure on a piece of coal that is of minimal value. But the pressure changes the value of the coal from something that is almost worthless to something that is almost priceless. And honesty, listen to me now, honesty in the context of close relationships, constructive feedback, or as the Bible says, speaking the truth in love, keeping it real, keeping it 100 is a painful thing. And pain from damage, disappointments, disagreements in relationship um, causes hurt. But if the relationship is a divinely appointed relationship. In other words, if God has brought the person into your life, God will use these people to help us get stronger. Now, this series is about 10 steps to a better life. And you can't get better unless you get stronger. Now, when we began reading this, these verses, the first two or three words, in the first two or three words, Paul uses this word brother. Brother. Verse 1, he says brother. You see, brother is a very intimate, relational term. Uh, Paul says uh, that he and the Corinthians have very intimate relationship. But Paul, by this time, has already been through the relationship ringer with the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church did not support Paul financially, and that hurt it. Their behavior had fostered divisions rather than unity. That was disappointing. There was disagreement on what they could eat, um, disagreement on the role of women. There was uh, disagreement on the use of their gifts. There was disagreement on the meaning of the resurrection and the return of Christ. And yet Paul, in the midst of the damage, the disappointment, and the disagreements, uses the word brother. You see, every quality relationship will be tested. Husband and wife, if that's a quality relationship, it will be tested. Father and son, fathers and daughters, parents and children, the relationship will be tested. Friendships will be tested. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. The quality that sustains healthy and meaningful relationships the Bible calls that quality love. Christian relationships are supposed to be deep relationships. This deep love, the Bible calls agape. 
Agape, A-G-A-P-E, is a Greek word, and it means the type of love that is categorically different than other types of love. It is not based on superficial things like bloodlines. It is not based on class. It is not based on gender. It's not based on sexual orientation. It's not based on race or theology or what we believe about God. It's not based on politics, what we believe about the government. It's not based on how much we have attained educationally. But this agape love is a deeper love than these surface things. It's not only deep, but it is strong. I would go as far to say that agape is weird. It's not, not like regular love. It's, it's strange love. Um, this is what the Bible says about it. It says agape is patient. Not patient with people who is easy to be patient with. Not patient with people who don't need patience. Patience is needed where somebody has not only getting on your nerves, but has already gotten on your nerves. Yeah. Agape, listen, is patient. And then it says agape is kind. But look at this, strange and weird. Agape always trusts. Always trusts. Always. All, the only reason you say always trust is because there has been betrayal. And there has been deceit. But it says, even in the presence of deceit and betrayal, agape, weird, trust. And then it says, agape, this kind of love, never fails. Yeah, it's it's weird love. What it is saying, that when everything else has failed, this God type of love, this God quality of love, still stands undefeated. Yeah, what it's saying is that agape is not easily broken. Now, sweetheart love, or that's my boo love, will fail. Am I right about it? Yeah, yeah, we, yes, yes, we know, know that. Love based on genetics will implode. Here I am, a guy who's grown up in a house, never known a day of hunger, always had clothes, always had toys. And here I am at 17. I've got a strained relationship with my father and he has a strained relationship with me. We got the same genetic DNA coursing through our veins. Here, our love was not strong enough if it was based on genetics. But the love that comes from God is not a cheap knockoff type of love. It is not temporary. It is everlasting. And it never fails. And when it comes to believers, this is what happens when you become a child of God. The Bible says that God pours his love into our hearts. Because the only love that we know is a selfish love and a conditional love. And so what God does when we are saved or when we become Christians, he pours, somebody say pours. He pours his love into our hearts. And this love that he pours into our hearts gives us the best chance of surviving the damage, disappointment, and disagreements that are naturally going to happen in the vital relationships that we're going to have in our life. Yeah, but, but now, now once you have the agape in your heart, 
doesn't mean you know how to use it. It's foreign to you. It's strange to you. You have uh, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years of, of doing it another way. And so now we have to figure out how do I use this gift of agape that God has given to me? Well, secondly, you want to evaluate your spiritual strengths and weaknesses because it will take strength, develop strength to use this agape that God has given us. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Oh, wow. Woo. Boy, the church is really good at picking out folks who have fallen away. But here it says, examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. And then it says, test yourself. Test yourself. And, uh, and it says, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Let me, let me give you something very important here for relationships. Our spiritual maturity is best measured. You know, I tend to think of spiritual people, I guess, you know, know, still kind of misguided on this, but we kind of categorize spiritual people as the praying people and the hand-lifting people and the strong preaching and singing people and the people who are at the church all the time and all that kind of thing. They read the Bibles and they know Bible verses. Uh, um, That's kind of how we really... That's the litmus test, isn't it? But, but our spiritual maturity is best measured, not by any of this stuff, but it's best measured by how we love one another. Uh, Paul said this, if I, he said, if I demonstrate all of the characteristics of a spiritual person, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, and I do not have love, and the only purpose for love is so that I can maintain relationships, with other person, other people. Love has no other purpose. It is given to us for the maintenance of vital, meaningful, helpful, and spiritually developing relationships in my life. He said, but I speak in the tongue of men and angels. I have all the characteristics and quality of a spiritual person. But I do not have love. Paul says, I'm just blowing smoke. Yeah, I'm just a sounding brass or, or tinkling cymbal. And so the more love you have, the more spiritually mature you really are. You see, an agape gives us the strength, listen to me, it gives us the strength in the context of damage, disagreements, and disappointments which break and fracture relationships. Agape gives us the strength to forgive. You can't forgive if you're weak. You can kick somebody's butt. If you're weak, you can cut somebody out. You cannot speak to somebody again. You can, you, can, you, can, you can see them coming and go the other way if you're weak. But in order to forgive, you're going to need some spiritual strength. So agape gives us the strength to forgive. It gives us the strength to persevere. It gives us the strength to be a blessing. You see, because that's what God has called us to do. He says, if your enemy hungers, look at this. This is how you treat an enemy. If your enemy hungers, you feed him. If your enemy doesn't have any clothes, you clothe him. 
He said, he said, and then in doing this, you're doing a good deed for your enemy. But suppose the person is not an enemy, and yet there's damage, disagreement, and disappointment. Uh, God is calling us not to trash those relationships. You separate from enemies. You love your enemy, but you must be reconciled to those who God has put in your life to help you be who he's called you to be. Love helps us to persevere and to be a blessing. Now, in the long run, in the long run, not in the short run, in the long run, this is what actually makes a church attractive. Now, people will come to church initially if the singing is great. That will attract them and get them here for a while. If the preaching is decent, that will attract them and get them here for a while. If you have wonderful uh, uh, creativity, and, and all of that, that's attractive, and it gets you here for a while. But what keeps people in churches is the depth of a relationship. In other words, people don't keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and find meaning in speeches and songs and tricks. People keep coming because there's somebody there that means something to me. So, God wants us to develop these Christ-centered relationships. And they're developed. You know how they're developed? They don't just happen. They're developed. And they're developed by worshiping together, studying together, praying together, serving together, and fellowshipping together. And that's why you hear us talking over and over and over and over and over about small groups and growth groups and being a part of a group because you have to have a context in order to get strong. Doesn't just happen. But in the context of a small group, what happens is that you begin to peel away the layers of your deceit and the layers of your pain and hurt and you begin to open up. And the only way to be healed and get stronger is not by hiding who we are but by confessing who we are. And so our groups help us get stronger and strengthen our capacity to love in the midst of our pain. Now, it's only a matter of time. Amen. doesn't matter what the relationship is, how good it is right now. Only a matter of time before problems surface in the best of relationships. I laugh at I, I just love new parents. I just love them. You know, they, they, and, I, and I really love them when they have the first baby. I mean, they say that first baby, and man, you know, that baby's about six months old, and they'll call you up so excited. They say, oh, you know what? My child is a genius. Guess what he did at six months old? I said A, and he pointed to the A on the book. He's just a genius. I said, oh, yeah. You're right. And so was my children and somebody else's children next door. And so what is going to be a very loving and warm relationship, whether it's your children, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your parents, whether it's a coworker or a friend, Every relationship will be tested. And it will be tested by disappointment. 
It will be tested by disagreement. It will be de- tested by damage done by some act, some senseless, senseless behavior. Yeah, but Christ wants us to love in spite of it. And he wants us to emulate Jesus as a model. Now, as I close, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams did not speak to each other. After having been friends for 26 years, they didn't speak to each other for 10 years. They didn't write. They didn't communicate. But after those 10 years had transpired, a mutual friend sort of brokered and worked with both of them and got them both together, and they remained friends until they died. Incidentally, these two men who were authors of our Constitution, founding fathers of our nation, both died July 4th, 1826, 50 days, 50 years to the day of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. John Adams died that morning, and his last words on his lips was, at least Jefferson survives, not knowing that his good friend had already passed before him. Ten years. Some of us will not be that fortunate. We will not have ten years to work it out. People will move on. Others will pass on. Time hardens hurting hearts. And the road, listen, the road to a better life, unfortunately, as David said, passes through the valley of the shadow of death where we are hurt by those who love us and those whom we love. But David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death where I experience a hurt and a pain that I don't know how I can keep going with this. He said, I will not be afraid because God is with me. And it is God who teaches us not to abandon those relationships. He teaches us how to love in spite of them. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand, if you will. And as we close, I want to close with this last point. Permit Jesus to lead your entourage. Yeah. You all know what an entourage is. You know, you just watch the rich and the famous. Watch, you know, people like Mariah Callett, Carrie, CeeLo Green. Anybody's famous. They always have a group of people who are connected with them, who kind of stay with them, help them out. And so you ought to have people in your life too who stay with you. You don't want to be a merry-go-round type relationship person. You want to maintain some relationships. And so... What's very important is that in the midst of these people in your life that you also invite Jesus in, but not only to be a part of your entourage, but to be the leader of these very close circle friends and associates. 
So while you're standing, I want you to repeat after me. I want you to make confession, a confession, an affirmation today. I want you to claim something for yourself as you're starting this new year. And I want you to believe it because I'm going to tell you that second the courage, the most important thing you're going to need is other people in your life. So here's the confession. Repeat after me. I will work to become more attractive to those who can help me. About that. I will work to become more attractive to those who can help me. Second one, repeat after me. I will reduce my fears and increase my faith. Because your fears will keep you from connecting with people that show you who you really are. Third confession, repeat after me. I will reduce my criticisms and increase my encouragements. You attract through positive speech and not negative speech. Repeat after me. I will reduce excuses and improve my expertise. What you're saying is that I'm going to get better. Because none of us attract who we want. We attract who we are. And so if I want better people around me, I have to get better myself. Repeat after me. I will improve my physical appearance. Repeat after me. I'm already cute. I'm going to get cuter. Amen. Because you feel better about yourself. And that's where it all begins. Repeat after me. I will work on my languages. See, everybody in here is already bi-trilingual. Repeat after me. I will work on my languages. My body language. My emotional language. And the words that I speak. Until I am stronger. Repeat after me. I will work on my spirit. Repeat after me. I will work on my spirit by hiding the word in my heart and praying to know God's will. Now, I'm going to email these out today in our summary. So you don't have to write them down. Technology is a good thing, isn't it? Amen. Now listen, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why this is important. This, what you just said, is important because God has chosen you. You are chosen of God. Hallelujah. And being chosen of God, you cannot be and do all that God wants you to be and do without the very vital relationships that God places in your life. And you have to retain more of these relationships than you lose.